All right. When I say God is good, you say all the time. God is good. And all the time. God is good. And all the time. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I'm, I'm in Africa. <laughs> Father, we thank you for revelation knowledge. We thank you for insight. We rely on you, Lord God, for you to teach us by your Spirit this morning. May you take us to new levels of faith. May you help us, Lord, in this life. We rely on you. We see you as our source. We open our hearts to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've been enjoying this faith series, haven't we? Okay, and I've been hearing that exciting things are being discussed in the different groups. Uh, didn't you love uh, Stuart's testimony last week? Very powerful, wasn't it? Okay, if you missed out on that, you can actually access it uh, via the internet. It was extremely powerful. And God is just leading us, he's teaching us. Michael uh, started the series, he did a couple of messages. Then last week, I team taught with uh, Stuart Bishop. And now this week, I'm going to continue. And we've been talking about how to create a culture of? Faith. A culture of? Faith. All right. And last week, I said to you that we need to help people to see the unseen, to believe in the unseen realm. Amen? And Stuart spoke about confessing the word. That's how we create a culture of faith. And so the third point I want to mention is we need to show the next generation the power and purpose of tests. We need to show the next generation the power and purpose of tests. I promise you now, if you have a revelation of how God is a God who uses the tests that come to us in our lives, it takes you to another level. How many of you know that you can't be a medical doctor without passing specific tests? How many of you know that you can't drive a vehicle without passing specific tests legally? All right. How many of you know that you can't go to university if you haven't got your matric? And if you come from another country, you need an exemption, a matriculation exemption, don't you? All right. So it's important to understand that every test that we go through is extremely important because a test will always precede a promotion. Say to the person next to you, the tests in your life precede a promotion. Now, I remember when I was at school, what would happen is we would be in class and the teacher would say, guys, I'm giving you a test. And it's going to be a test that will take place next week. Next week, Monday. And what was the first thing you would ask your teacher when they say there's a test coming up next week, Monday? Okay, some of you would say what's in the test. Some of us, some of us, before we even ask what the, is in the test, we would ask, does it count? Will it count? All right? Will it count towards my final mark? And then if it doesn't count, what happens? And we chill. Now, now, now I want you to know something. We have tests in our lives, but some of you don't even know that you're going through tests. And because you don't know that it's a test, you don't apply yourself. Because you don't think it counts. You don't think it counts. And I'm here to say to you this morning, the tests 
that God is allowing you to go through, they do count. And those tests that you're going through right now are determining whether you're going to go to your next level or not. Those tests that you're going through right now, whether you pass them or you fail them, determines whether you'll go to your next level of promotion in God. And there's what we call spiritual promotion, where God raises you up, where God blesses you at another level, where things that used to take you five years to do, you're now doing within a couple of weeks because of the grace that you're operating at. Where people wonder, how come as a foreigner you're getting business so easily? How come you're not looking for business, but business is coming to you? It's because you've passed certain tests in your life, and you're operating at a different dimension. Can I hear an amen? So I'm interested in the tests in my life. And I'm interested to know exactly what is mentioned here by Cindy. What's in that test? What's the test about? And so if we want to create a culture of faith, we need to teach the next generation the importance of testing your faith. Now, one of the things I've learned about tests is that you have two major types. Now, we can talk about various categories of tests, but when we're talking about tests, I like to divide them up into two major types. They're the tests we go through by default. So in everyday life, people have to go through tests. People have to go to school, right? And they have, you have tests in grade 4, you have tests in grade 5, tests in grade 6, and then you have your matric. And basically most people go through that particular process. So there are tests that we go through in life. But I'm going to know that there are some people who go through certain tests on a volunteer basis. I was speaking to someone yesterday, I was uh, coaching a particular individual and their spouse, and the guy next week, Thursday, is traveling down to Cape Town. They're going down as a family. What's happening in Cape Town? In about a week's time? Okay, so I'm talking about the jazz festival. Yes, okay, the jazz festival. Depending on which circles you're in. There's a jazz festival. How many of you knew about the jazz festival? Okay, there's the two oceans, isn't there? And they're going down about 56 kilometers. Now, who does that on a volunteer basis? You know, who would get up in the morning and say, Oh, honey, I want to do 56 kilometers. All right? That's a test, isn't it? That is the massive test. But guess what? Some people do it because they want to test themselves. I know that my brothers and I, I'm not talking about spiritual brothers, I'm talking about my brothers and I, like my biological brothers, because we have four boys in our family, no girls, right? I know some of you are surprised. I told you, so good with women, you're so gentle, nice and kind. I thought you had lots of girls around you. No, we're just four boys, right? But when we talk to each other and we encourage each other concerning working out, Okay, for some of us, it's still on the encouragement stage, right? We, we, we say things like, ah, this is the year, I want to reach machine status, machine status. Now, that's, that's voluntary testing, isn't it? When people do the comrades, that's voluntary testing. What am I saying? In life, we go through tests, and those tests that you pass precede your promotion. But some of those tests, for example, if you have an illness... How many of you know that you can use that as an opportunity to test your faith? To say, I want freedom. I want deliverance. Amen? But there are other times you can say, you know what? I want to test my faith by going to the hospital down the road. You don't have to. No one has forced you. And I want to begin to pray for the sick there. I want to push myself. That's the equivalent of doing the comrades. Does that make sense? And you are intentionally getting yourself to push yourself to test your faith to see what level you can reach. I've learned that in life, the tests that we overcome, the tests that we pass, precede our promotion. And it's the wise person that allows themselves to go through certain tests. 
not necessarily just the test that come their way. Can I hear an amen? amen? God wants to take your faith to another level. God wants to take my faith to another level. And I want to show you this morning that if we want to create a culture of faith, we have to go through tests. What tests are you facing right now? We see in scripture that God is a God of tests. God is a God of tests. And I see people who work so hard to pass exams. You'll hear people during their study season saying, Sorry, Pastor, I'm not going to be at church for the next three weeks because I really need to study. I'm on study leave and I need to study for that particular test. How much effort do you place? How much effort do you place in your life with regards to the tests of faith? Because faith is one of the things that will be tested. Turn with me, please, if you've got your Bibles or you can just use the screen to Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to read verse 11 through to 12. It's a passage of scripture many of us are familiar with. It's a time when Abraham was tested by God with regards to his son Isaac. Now it came to pass after these things that God did what? God did what? God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, so when God tests you, he will say things to you. You see, sometimes he tests you by giving you an instruction. And if you don't know it's a test, you'll disobey the, the command. Sometimes God will test you. He tests by saying. It says, God tested Abraham, so he said to Abraham. What has God been saying to you? And has he been saying it as a suggestion or has he been saying it as a test? Now watch this. It says, and he said to Abraham, Abraham! There's some Christians that don't recognize God's voice when God says, Cindy! Or when God says, Ma Cecilia. Well, I don't know if he calls you Ma. <laughs> Sissy. Okay. But do you recognize God's voice? Because when he tests you, he will give you an instruction. He will allow you to go through something. And it says, he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, when we are mature as Christians and we want to overcome in these particular tests, we need to be able to identify the voice of God when he gives us the instruction. Now watch this. He says, here I am. He recognized God's voice. Verse 2. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Very often the tests that come through to us in our lives, especially the tests of faith, will require us sacrificing something that we love. And many times if your view of God is skewed, you won't pass the test because you'll be like, why would God give me this thing only to take it away? How many of you know that in scripture we are told that he takes away the first to establish the second? How many of you know that he removes the old covenant to establish the new covenant? And how many of you know that the latter is better than the former? So whenever God seems to be taking away something from you, it's only to give you something better and something more. But there might be a time lag between the two givings. And you see many of us, our theology begins to change at that point. Because we say, but this isn't God. But no, no, God can't do something like this. But why would God have made me wait for such a long time to start my business only to say to me, I need you to give 50% into the kingdom? That's a test. Why would God have said to me, Paul, may you write these books only to say and give me as an instruction, give them away to that organization over there or to all the guys in the church? Why would he do that? These are tests. 
But we have to be able to recognize when it's a test. We have to be able to be like Abraham who rose up and said, Here I am, Lord. Do you recognize God's voice? Do you recognize God's nature when he's testing you? Now watch this. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, as if Abraham didn't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't it interesting the way God speaks sometimes? Abraham is like, uh, duh, of course. Yes, he is my only son. I've been waiting for this son for a long time. Why are you telling me something I already know? Of course I know I love him. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now those were practices in the days. That's what people used to do. Right? Remember, Abraham came from the land of the Chaldeans. Or Chaldeans, however you want to pronounce it. He came from that land. And those people were ungodly people. They used to do child sacrifices and so on. So when he was hearing that from God, as he was learning what God was like. Now God wasn't into, let's sacrifice your child. But from his grid... From his relational grid, he thought, okay, well, God is obviously being serious. This is what I've grown up with. It's not a case of like, no, but the God I know, God of Abraham, the God I know wouldn't ask me to do that. Does that make sense? In Abraham's frame of reference, that was a possibility. Now watch. He says, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. But the angel of the Lord, I'm reading ahead now, but the angel of the Lord, verse 11, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand, verse 12, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know. Everyone say, now I know. But surely God knows everything. So what does it mean? Now I know. How many of you that you can give how many, how many teachers do we have here? Mom T. Okay, let's use you as an example, right? You can give some of your students certain tests, right? And for some of them, you know that they'll pass the test. And for some, you're not too sure. And when that one who you're confident in passes the test, you will still say, now I know that this guy really is my top student. I suspected it, but I'm now seeing the evidence. He gets 95%. Amen? And that's what God does. And you see, God wants to know, is he first in your life? This was a test of faith. Because Abram was being tested that, you know what? Am I willing to sacrifice my son and believe that because God's promise is true, this son will be raised from the dead? That could be an option. Am I willing to sacrifice my son and believe that the same God who gave me this son can give me another one? I don't know what was going on in his head, but are you willing to pass the test that God puts before you? Often when I speak to young women, for example, who are are in a relationship that they shouldn't be in, one of the key questions I like to ask is, do you believe that God can bless you with the right person? And you see that their faith is actually being tested. Because they know the guy isn't right for them, but you'll find that they'll say, you know what, Paul, to be honest with you, I'm settling for second best here. Um, it's, it's the tyranny of the familiar. I'm settling for what I'm familiar with. I was abused all my life. This guy's very abusive. But you know what? That's what men are like. So I'm settling for this. And the root issue is they haven't passed the test of faith. You see, when God tests your faith, he's saying to you, are you willing to let go of this thing you really, really love? Single ladies, don't look so convicted, okay? Because I'm not <laughs> 
Are you willing to let go of this relationship that you really, really love? This only relationship you've got. Whilst you've got that low self-image, you don't see yourself as attractive, you're holding on to this guy who's going to ruin your life. Are you willing to let go of that? And trust me, faith, trust me that I will give you my best. And very often the breakthrough in our life comes when we pass those tests of faith. Can I hear an amen? Amen. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The fear of the Lord and bold, audacious faith is seen in our lives when we stop withholding things that are dear to us. And you know sometimes what it looks like, it's not just faith for finances. Often when we talk about believing God, people, the default is I'm believing God for this and it's things, it's stuff. Sometimes it's, have you got faith that God can change your family around? Have you got faith where you're willing to let go of that wayward son and say, you know what, Lord, he's in your hands. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to take matters in my own hands anymore. Are you willing to do so? God, I'm going to trust you in my job where they've been bypassing me in terms of promotion. This one is getting promoted, but they're always asking me for help. This one is getting promoted, but they're always abusing sick leave. But you are my source, and I fear you. I revere you. Are you willing to withhold that desperate desire that you have for promotion? And to actually say, God, my life is in your hands. You are my source. When God sees that, I promise you, then you'll say, now I know. I used to suspect it, but now I know that you trust me. Now I know that Julia sees me as her source of promotion and not her boss. Now I know that Sean sees me as his source of promotion and not his wife, jokes, and not anyone else. Amen. Look at Isaiah chapter 60, verse 10. A powerful prayer we need to pray as believers is, God, may you show me what the tests are in my life right now. May you show me what the tests are in my life right now so I can kick into gear because those tests, I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, they count. They count. Isaiah 60, verse 10. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Though... In anger I struck you. In favor I will show you compassion. I want to show you that a lot of Christians do not know how to distinguish between the seasons in their lives. He says, guys, although in anger I struck you, how many of you have ever experienced the striking of the Lord? How many of you have ever experienced the discipline of the Lord where you go through stuff and you know that God has got something to do with this? Well, at least he's not stopping it. How many of you have experienced that? Right? But he says, that's what I did, past tense. But right now in this season, in favor, I'm going to show you compassion. And you know what's happening in a lot of people's lives? When you don't understand tests, and you don't understand the process of God, you get stuck in the past. So your mentality becomes, 2015 was a difficult year. And you're going through God's discipline. You're going through the tests. You are studying hard, not eating, working day and night. You are studying. And then you get stuck in 2015 and you assume that the way God was dealing with you last year, he's going to always deal with you like that for the rest of your life. And now the breakthrough is about to come. People are coming to you and doors have opened 
But in your mind, you're saying, what's the catch? Because God, the God I know, isn't like that. Because you took offense in the time of testing. You see, what happens is that your attitude determines your... Your attitude will determine your altitude. And you see, the question is, what attitude do I have during the time of testing? Is, is my attitude, I'm going to pass this test, I don't want to keep going around this mountain many times over and over again, and now I'm in a new season of breakthrough, God has promoted me, and I'm believing God in faith for this, for this, for that. Don't get stuck with the time of testing. The whole point about a time of testing is you're not going to be tested for, oh, for the rest of your life 24-7. Amen? This is what happened to the children of Israel. They got stuck in how God was treating them and the process of God in the wilderness. So they get now into the promised land and they still have the mentality. And they start seeing the giants. They start seeing the different tribes. And what's their mentality? Their mentality is that here it goes again. I remember the Egyptians from back in the day. Now I'm seeing the Hittites and the other types, right? And God is saying, no, I'm taking you through, I've t- taken you through a test. Now it's your time to take the land. I believe that many of you right now are in a season where it's time to take the land. You've passed tests, but it's time to take the land. Am I the only one who's excited about this? Though in anger I struck you, the same God who can strike you is the same God who shows you favor. God has got multiple dimensions to him, ladies and gentlemen. It's important to understand whether you're in a season of testing or not. There are times when we have moved into a phase of promotion, but we don't receive it because we still think we're in permanent testing. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. This is such a powerful key verse. It's also a good verse to even memorize. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. How many of you know that you can have faith that is not genuine? Michael spoke to us in the first session on the subject of presumption. God is taking us to a place where we go through tests and we come out with genuine faith. If faith is the substance of things that we are hoping for, how many of you know that we need faith in order to create stuff in the spirit? And I don't know about you, but I want a dimension of faith that creates lots of things. I want a dimension of faith that is creative. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. How many of you are in the mining industry? How many of you are in the mining industry? If you're in the mining industry, you'll know that today, this is not how we purify gold, is it? But we use chemicals, they use hydrochloric acid, they use nitric acid, right? To separate out the stuff that's horrible, right? From the pure gold. And you see, many of us, we come through in life with mixture, don't we? Where our faith is not pure. And it's not potent faith because it's impure. But we have to go through tests in order to experience that separation so that we have faith that is potent. Now, in Yesteryear, in traditional times, in olden days, what they used to do is they used to refine the gold by heating it. And it had to be heated to over a thousand degrees Celsius. It was actually a very dangerous craft. 
Because imagine the person is there and they're literally manually separating out the stuff that's not good from the gold. They take, they take out the gold and separating it from the stuff that's not good. Imagine how dangerous that was. And you see, some of you are feeling the heat in your life, but what's happening is when you see it as, it's not just heat, but it's actually my faith is being tested. Your attitude is completely different when you go through that process. And you come out better, you come out with your promotion. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I'll share with you some things just concerning purifying gold. Refining with flame is one of the oldest methods of refining metals. Mentioned even in the Bible, refining by fire is the preferable method for larger quantities of gold. In ancient times, this form of refining involved a craftsman sitting next to a hot fire with molten gold in a crucible being stirred and skimmed to remove the impurities or dross that rose to the top of the molten metal. With flames reaching temperatures in excess of a thousand degrees Celsius, this job was definitely a dangerous occupation for the gold refiner. I'm not going to show you, I've got a YouTube clip on this, but I'm not going to show you that. I think it's quite clear what you can see here. Now watch this. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Isn't that wonderful? My faith is precious. Your faith is precious. It's extremely precious because of what it can do. How many of you... I was going to say men, but it doesn't have to be men only. How many of you have got a toolbox with very, very nice equipment in it? You've got a toolbox. Okay, Cindy, yes. I know you're trying to break the stereotype. Okay, you've got it. You've got it, you've got it, you've got it. Ishe and so on. It's precious to you, isn't it? Because of what's inside it. Because of what's inside it. Often when my father-in-law has to come and fix things at our house, doesn't have to, but when he volunteers to come, it saved us a lot of handyman fees. But when he comes through and fixes things at our house, we've got tools there. But very often you'll say, guys, just give me notice and I will come with my tools. Because his tools are at another level. Amen? So we protect that which is precious. Do you remember when Barack Obama was here in this country? Right? Remember when he came through? I remember being on the highway and we had to stop here on the N1 because they were coming from um, is it, uh, uh, Waterkloof, Air Base, right? Where people, come, where people land. And then they came through and was interesting. Important people land there, right? And so you have this guy coming, Air Force One, etc. And I remember being parked off there and I, had, I, I sort of wasn't aware what route he was going to use. But I then see this motorcade, and I see vehicles I didn't recognize, right? I see these black Fords, but big ones, and I realize that well, these aren't from South, these aren't from here, right? And he goes through, and I realize that because the President of the United States is precious to them, whenever he's moving around, there's strong security that's there. When the, when the thing that is being protected is precious cargo, the security is higher. And the Bible here says that your faith is precious. So because it's precious, guess what happens? Is your faith in your mind? Where's your faith? It's here in our hearts, isn't it? We build ourselves up in the most holy faith. It's here in our hearts. And guess what? That's why we must guard our hearts. Because faith is one of those things that can be robbed of us. Just like that. Robbed from us just like that. 
and you sink into unbelief. So we guard our hearts because in our hearts, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4 verse 23, guard your heart for from it flows the issues of life. So I want to have potent faith and I want to make sure that my faith remains potent. And I want to teach my children to also go through tests. The problem with this generation is we're ending up with very weak children because we like to protect them from harm all the time. There's a place for protection, but there's also a place for preparation. And sometimes you see, we get very protective of our kids instead of saying, okay, that guy who was bullying you at school, let's talk about it. How did you cope with that suffering? We need to teach our children that life is hard, but God is good. Amen. Life is difficult, and it is, but God is a good God. And we need to coach them to show them how to go through the trials in their lives. Because later on in life, then they won't have backbone. They won't have a backbone if they haven't learned how to pass tests today. Can I hear an amen? amen? And so what I see interesting is the Bible says, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The reason why many people backslide is because they go through these trials. They go through tests, but they don't remain strong. They hadn't built themselves up in the most holy faith to be able to sustain and overcome those particular tests. The reason why kids are failing lots of exams today is because they didn't get the foundations. They didn't pass certain tests. They were whisked through grade one, grade two, grade three. Now they're in grade four and they're not coping. And when you examine them, you start seeing that they didn't get the foundations right. That's what happens when we skip levels in our lives. What tests are you going through right now? Are you teaching the next generation to cope well with the test that they're going through right now? There was a time back in the 90s when my wife went through a difficult time. When her resources were taken away from her and she was left with nothing. Now she'd come from a background where she had all the things she needed. Even as a young girl, she never lacked financially. I even remember the one time going somewhere with her and I said to her at a certain point, yeah, because you know, I don't have cash at the moment. And she assumed I meant, oh, okay, so let's go to the ATM. But I was actually, I don't have cash. I, I still remember that. You know when you're at varsity, you know you're at varsity, there are times when the cash runs out. Hey, my, my, uh, but she hadn't experienced that. I still remember it. I remember it. It was about like it happened yesterday. I said, okay, I'm done because you know, I don't have cash. And sometimes it was quite normal, you know, there are times you don't have cash. I said, okay, cool, do you want me to take you to the ATM? Uh, even in the ATM, <laughs> Right? But she didn't have that concept. But at a certain point in her life, all the resources she had were taken away from her. And there was a season in her life, I think some of you know the story, where she literally moved places of residence um, about 16 times in six months. Can you see what was happening there? Her faith was being tested. Are you going to remain strong in Jesus when all your resources are taken from you? Her vehicle was taken from her various things. And during that period, guess what happens? Even though her money that was going to be going towards her master's degree at the time was also taken away from her, middle of the year she gets a bursary. Who gets bursaries middle of the year? During that time period, she also got a scholarship that was paid for for her to go to a conference in, um, in Switzerland. 
You know what that did for her? I didn't tell her I was going to be sharing this. You know what that did for her? She's strong in faith when it comes to provision. She doesn't, if you say to her, do you worry about finances and so on? She doesn't worry about finances. Why? The same God who looked after her 15, 16 years ago is the same God who will look after her today. Amen. How many of you know that your faith only grows when you pass certain tests? Amen. Some of you have passed certain tests, but the tests were small. How many of you know that you don't just become a doctor by just doing a little quick multiple choice? <laughs> there are levels of tests. How many of you don't just become an engineer by doing a little quiz? Internet-based online quiz. Oh, I'm an engineer now. They've tested me. So there are levels of testing that we go through as Christians. Are you hearing me this morning? Now, some of you, you like the easy tests. But I want to tell you that the harder the test, very often the higher the promotion. Very often, if you're called to be a prophet, God will test you through rejection. Why? Because you need to be strong in faith in a dimension in your walk with God where you'll give a pure word regardless of who it is. Where the man pleasing spirit has to be broken off you where you'll still deliver a pure word regardless of who the audience is. Those are tests that we go through. Amen? What tests are you going through right now? Are you, are, you've got a choice. Are you complaining? Are you whining? Are you griping? Are you saying bring it on? Bring it on. You know why some tests last for a long time? We all know the story about the children of Israel. They could have gone through the wilderness just in a few weeks. But why were they there for, four, for all those years, 40 years? Griping, moaning, whining, saying it will be better, we're rather in Egypt. How are you handling the tests that God is bringing your way right now? Because you see, the more you whine, the more God will say, okay, I, they haven't yet learned. The more you gripe and complain and become offended, God is like, they don't, they're, not, they're not getting it. They need to go through this test to go to their next level. So guess what's happening? Many of us are praying for the breakthrough. God is saying, here's an opportunity for your breakthrough. Here's the test that gets you there. Then you're like, oh, why is this happening? I rebuke this test. I rebuke you, devil. And God is saying, no, but you said you want the breakthrough. If you want to remain at this level, then don't do the test. How many of you know about the process of tempering? Tempering, if you look at sword making, when they make swords, they don't want the sword to be brittle. Right? You want to heat up the sword and then it just becomes brittle and it breaks. So it goes through a tempering process and that's what people used to do when they would make certain weapons. Because you see, if it breaks in wartime, you'll have problems. If your sword is not strong enough, I think you've watched in certain movies, I think they use film tricks and the guys are there fighting and someone with the sword and then it just breaks in half. The sword was not strong. Whatever molecules needed to be there at that particular point were not actually tempered properly so that it's hard everywhere. Does that make sense? And you see what used to happen is that the way they would make swords, they would have to harden them. And how would they harden them? They would also go through heat. They would go through heat. I still remember I started wearing glasses. I don't wear glasses anymore, but I started wearing glasses back in uh, when I was 12 years of age. For those who don't know, I had the off, by the way. That's what happened, okay? I know some of you are thinking, like, well, you're supernaturally healed. I wish I could say that. If I had the off, don't wear glasses anymore. That's why you don't see me wearing glasses, okay? 
Anyway, moving on. I started wearing glasses when I was 12. And I still remember my first pair of glasses, they had a thing on them saying, heat treated by British standards. That just put weight on it, you know, it was just heat treated by British standards. Okay? And I remember I had said to them, I want my glasses hardened because I was playing sports. And so they were heat treated. And there's something about the heat that we go through in life that hardens us. It toughens us. Yes, our hearts are still soft. Our hearts are still malleable in front of God, before God. But we are tough. We've got a bulletproof self-image. Amen? Amen? Now, this is the process of sword making, the tempering part. Tempering is a process involving slow and moderate heating to increase the hardness and toughness of metals that have undergone previous heat treatment. Metals are usually hardened by being heated to high temperatures and quenched rapidly. rapidly. This treatment causes brittleness. Now with a razor and something like that, it's fine, you know, they can break it, but you can't do that with a sword, can you? Okay? This causes brittleness, which is reduced by tempering. Steel is notably responsive to tempering, and makers of tools, weapons, armor, and other articles of steel have long had great skill in the process. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you allowing God to take you through that tempering process? How strong is your faith? When your boss doesn't like your presentation, do you just, do you just decide, I'm leaving, I'm quitting? I know people who've experienced that. God wants us to have a faith that is resilient. What is resilience? Resilience is the ability of someone or something to return to its original form after having been stretched. Some of you were stretched last year. Are you able to bounce back? Some people actually bounce back and they become even better. And when God tests your faith, He's testing you so that you go to your next level. Where you at in your life right now? Where you at in your life right now? Where's your faith? Are you going through the tests? Are you overcoming them? One of the pieces of homework I'd like to give you is to write down the tests that you're going through right now. Write down the tests that you're going through right now and then write out the reward. You see, you will study for those exams because of the joy, the hope set before you. That person who wants to qualify to be a medical doctor, what keeps them going for seven years or so of study is because they know what the outcome is. What's the reward of the test that you're going through in your life right now? What's the reward? Keep that before you. Amen. The fourth thing we need to teach the next generation we need to show the next generation the nature of God's character. We need to show the next generation the nature of God's character. You see, if we're in a situation where a child comes who's an orphan and they walk into this church, how much faith would you have that one of the people in the church will pay that child's school fees? People have got things to do, right, with their money. They're paying for their own kids. Is it easy to just have faith that, you know what, this child who we don't even know, this homeless child, we're going we're gonna to end up paying for their school fees for the rest of their life? How much faith do you have for that? Not that easy, is it? 
But if they walk into this place and someone says, I want to adopt this child. I'm adopting this child. Do you even ask the question about how their school fees will be paid? You won't. Because you have a revelation of the relationship that child now has with that particular individual. And guys, it's the same with the Lord. He's adopted us. When you have a revelation of adoption, everything changes. And you see what's happening is when we're discipling people, that's the missing piece. Because we're discipling people concerning faith, but they're relating to God like he's a distant relative. And so when they come to God in prayer, the mentality is they're trying to boost their faith, but their mindset is God is just way out there. He's that distant uncle who might or might not give me my breakthrough. But when we have a revelation that we've been adopted, you know when you adopted the concept of adoption? You end up taking on the responsibilities of the new family of which you're a part, but you also experience the benefit of being a son or a daughter in that household. So when dishes need to be washed, you there, you are washing the dishes. Those are the responsibilities of the household. When your father says, I'm about to die and I need someone to run my business, what happens? I've got an uncle who passed away um, about a month or so ago and he's got four daughters. And this uncle of mine, one of his businesses was a bed and breakfast. Guess what? The kids now are deciding, okay, what are we going to do with this? Oh, we've got a, a, a sibling who's at university. Let's keep the business going. When you're a daughter, you're responsible. When you're a daughter, there's an inheritance, but you've got responsibilities, and it's not easy running a BNB, especially when you've also got your own daytime job. But guess what? They will run that BNB, but at the same time, they'll also experience the benefits of it. Say to the person next to you, you've been adopted. <laughs> What I find really interesting about adoption is adoption wasn't actually a Hebrew concept. They didn't actually have that as a prerequisite. It wasn't something that you see in the law that you'll adopt so-and-so and you'll adopt so-and-so. In fact, if you look at the cases of adoption in the Old Testament, it tended to happen when people were outside their home country. Examples, people like Esther, for example. But it wasn't deep in the culture. It's a new covenant thing that came in. Isn't that interesting? And you see that when Paul speaks of it, because he's the guy who talks of it, and he speaks of it and he uses the word adoption, he mentions it a number of times. And it would have spoken very powerfully to the Greeks and the Romans because they had that in their culture. They understood the concept of adoption. Okay, there were lots of adoptions happening in that particular culture. Now, this is an interesting thing because when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 3 to 8. We need to teach our children, we need to teach the next generation what adoption really means. The character of God that we're dealing with. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not just some. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's the whole message there. Verse 4. For he chose us in him. Ooh. So it's not like you're going up to someone. You know some of those movies that you watch, like Annie and those movies where the person is kind of like, please notice me, please adopt me. No. Here you have Father God choosing us, where you are handpicked. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. No one forced him. In love. He predestined us for what? 
Don't let, the, don't let the devil rob you of this revelation. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Now, that the word, if, if you go in the original language, that, that word sonship is literally talking about being an heir. It's a place of authority. It's where you have a seat at the table. It's where you've got certain rights. And it says that he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Let me explain something. When you're studying the New Testament, the thing to understand is that Paul would use Greek in terms of the language, but sometimes he would be describing Hebraic concepts. Does that make sense? So when Paul was thinking about a son, in the, the Hebrew concept is the word kulos, which literally speaks of an heir. Does that make sense? Even though he was speaking in Greek. Right? Now watch this. He says, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So when he did it, it wasn't something he was scratching his head about. He wasn't like, ah, Sean, I, ah, let me just try. No, it says it was his pleasure. Isn't that interesting when it's the same word when he's speaking of his son and, and when Jesus gets baptized and says, this is my beloved son. In other words, the son whom I love. That's where we get the name David from, right? Um, that means beloved of God. My son whom I love, right? This is my beloved son with whom I find pleasure. And here Paul is basically saying it was his pleasure and his will to adopt us. My friends, when you have that revelation of the nature and character of God and his goodness, and his abundant nature, it's easy to have faith. It's easy to have faith. Your perception of who God is is one of the most important things that sustains you in this life. My question is, how do you see God? You see, many of us view God like we viewed our earthly fathers. And you've got different types of parents. You've got the parent who's permissive. That is the parent where there was zero discipline, but tons of affection. You know that kind of mom? who like hug her kids 73 times before she drops them off at school. Then she feels guilty and drives back and gives them an extra hug because she shouldn't be 74, not 73. And so there's some parents like that, but there's zero discipline. Children need to feel secure, but they also need to feel significant. And it's through our loving them that they feel a sense of significance. But it's through our discipline that they feel a sense of security. Does that make sense? And if you had that skewed view where you only had, you just had permissive parents, it affects your view of God. And maybe you see God as some sugar daddy out there. Let's press the blessing button and you'll get your breakthrough. A lot of people were raised like that. And now that's when preachers preach, they don't talk about the suffering and the trials that we go through in life. And when people go through suffering and trials, they have a problem theologically now. It's like, no, it must be the devil. I'm rebuking the devil. I'm rebuking the devil. And then they backslide. Why? Their view of God. In psychology, we call it transference, where you take how you saw your earthly parents and you place that on God. It happens so often. That's why the job we have as parents is to show children a good and healthy image of Father God. So you have the permissive parent, then you have the absent parent. Zero love, zero discipline. Some of you maybe came from those backgrounds. And so when we say, pray into that relationship, it's like, no, why? Because you never saw Father God as someone you could be intimate with. Because your mentality was, I cannot be intimate with authority. Authority is way over there. You can't be close to it. It's not there. It's absent. 
Then you had the authoritarian parent. 100% discipline. Zero love. And you know what it produces? It produces kids who are like, guys, I'm out of here. You know, as soon, as soon as I do my matric, I'm out of here and people become rebellious. And then you have the authoritative parent. The authoritative parent. And the authoritative parent is loving, but also strong and firm with discipline. And you know what? Some research was done. If you want to listen more, more to this, this whole thing, that particular quadrant, you can get the material from, just look up Chip, Chip Ingram. He does a brilliant course on this, okay, in his parenting course, where he talks about parenting in a toxic world, in a difficult world. And it's interesting because the best kids, they did research on, a, on thousands of teenagers, and the best kids came out of that fourth quadrant. How do you view God? Because how we were raised affects our view of God. Reflect on that. You see God as this harsh taskmaster that's always about to just beat you up. Or do you see him as loving and firm? The Bible talks about the kindness and severity of God. Are we just talking about his kindness? Are we also talking about his severity? The Bible says that Jesus Christ came with grace and truth. Are we just talking about grace or are we also talking about truth? How do you view God? I like this. John 14 verse 1 to 4. John 14 verse 1 to 4 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Believe in God. Be also believe in me. My Father's house. Can we see we're talking about faith? So he says, believe in God. Believe also in me. Then he begins to describe his character. And he says, my father's house has just a few rooms, so please just be very good so that you can squeeze your way in. No. My father's house has many rooms. There's no quota. There's no quota system. Just because your family members have had breakthrough doesn't mean that, oh, there was only a small breakthrough allotted to your family, so there isn't enough for you. There can be abundance. Just because you heard your favorite friend sharing his testimony last week, doesn't mean that the blessing has run out for the church. Amen. Amen? Amen? We can all be blessed. We can all have our prayers answered. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? For me, that's so powerful. Because Jesus doesn't just say, hey guys, I've got it sorted. He also prepares it for you. He does, he does everything. He prepares it for you, but he also provides it. He prepares that which he's provided. How many of you know that when you buy a bicycle, I'm told, because my wife is about to get one, when you buy those fancy road bikes, right? And we've got advice from Michael concerning this. You don't just go and buy the bicycle and like, oh, I'm not riding. It has to be. It has to be prepared for you. If you've got problems with your back or neck and so on, it has to be the right heights, the right everything. And it's something you actually pay for. Does that make sense? Jesus here saying, in my father's house there are many rooms. And I've gone before you to prepare those rooms. When I have faith, I'm not just having faith to something that I cannot identify with. I'm having faith toward my father who's adopted me with great love, great pleasure. He didn't have to have his arm twisted to adopt me. And Jesus has already gone before me, preparing 
those particular things. Isn't that amazing? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Isn't that amazing? Everything is covered. He blesses us abundantly and he prepares it. Many rooms have been prepared. You know that my kids know that their father is generous. And because of that knowledge, it affects their behavior. If you don't have a revelation of your father being generous as you're growing up, you'll cower before him. You'll find it difficult to ask for stuff. Amen? You'll go and say, Dad, if I do this, can you do this for me? Dad, please don't shout at me when I ask. Some of you relate to God like that. When I arrive home, my children, the times they run out and meet me, what's the first thing they do? They're looking at the back seat. They're acting like they want to greet me, but they're looking at the back seat to see is there a treat for them. And when they see there's no treats, they then run back into the house. And I'm like, come on, guys, I've got lots of stuff to carry. Please help me out. Somewhere along the line, because of how I've been towards them, they have a revelation of my character. Now, if they can do that to an imperfect father, as they grow up, how will they see Father God? How should we be seeing Father God? You see, it's easy to have faith when we know God's character. Who do you belong to? Then lastly, the fifth thing we need to do for the next generation. We need to let the next generation imitate our faith. Not our dress sense necessarily. Not our style in terms of our haircuts. Isn't that the wonderful thing about church? The diversity. Isn't that the wonderful thing about church? We don't all have to dress the same. We don't all have to be the black suit brigade. We don't all have to have the same hairstyles, but there are things we can imitate. Let people imitate your faith. Watch this. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 to 12, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now we know that in the book of Hebrews, we know that it talks about the heroes of faith. And the Bible here is instructing us that, you know what, when we learn about the heroes of faith, the one thing we need to do is to imitate their faith. Because it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. Some of you right now are strong in faith, but weak in patience. So you don't pass certain tests. Passing tests is not just to do with being strong in faith. It's mixing your faith with patience. Amen? Some people are strong when it comes to faith if they want to have a breakthrough for tomorrow. But when you have to wait for that breakthrough for six months, for two years, you have to mix patience into your faith. And the Bible here says that we must be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Number one, do you know the promises of God towards you? Number two, are you strong in faith? Number three, are you strong in patience? Many people short-circuit the blessing of God in their lives. They short-circuit the anointing of God in their lives because of impatience. 
So how do we show the next generation our faith? How do we get them to imitate our faith? Firstly, show them your dependency on God. You see, many of us, especially dads, we like just showing our kids that we're good at providing. And we try, very subtly, we try to act like we are the source. And we don't show them the blood, the sweat, the tears, the prayers that went into the breakthrough. God is taking us to a place where we need to teach the next generation that this is what I'm believing God for. Where you put things up onto your fridge to say, right, here's our list. This year, 2016, this is what we believe in God for. And we're going to continue pushing in prayer until we see the breakthrough. And that's how your children will learn about faith. I heard Miles Monroe talking about it. I heard him talking about it. And it's sad when you think of the, the, the fact that he actually passed away through uh, an accident in that particular jet. But he talks about the times when he would actually have on his fridge the particular jet he was believing God for. And his kids would see that he's believing God for that. And at a certain point, they saw him taking it down, taking it off the fridge. Why are you taking it off the fridge? Because the breakthrough has happened. We need to teach the next generation how to be people of faith. We need to teach our children not to just be good moral beings, but to have the spirit of faith. Show them your dependency on God. And you know what I've seen in family life? It's easy to do this. For example, if the mom or you have lost something around the house, what do you do? You say, okay, let's pray that God will help us to find it. And inevitably it comes through because you pray, pray like, Lord, you've got to have you got to have to really come through. Otherwise my kids will start doubting you. Okay. <laughs> so show them your dependency on God. Give them visual reminders that God is your source. Visual reminders that we believe in God for this thing. Try to show them that you're applying your faith to multiple areas, not just one. So not just faith for finances. But you know what? Let's believe God together that we'll improve in that particular subject we're struggling with. We'll do our bit, but let's trust God. Show them the faith list that you've got. Show them the things that you believe in God for. Amen? My kids keep coming to me saying, Dad, why don't we live in that particular estate? And we say to them, you know what? It actually costs millions of rand just to actually get a stand in that estate. But how come my friend so-and-so lives there? Now, like, well, you know, I think their dad is really good with money and he invests here and does this and he does those fancy things and so on. And I end up speaking to that friend's father and I start saying, you're putting me under pressure here with my kids, you know? They're saying like, but you live there and you've done this and you've bought this and it's all that and so on. Right? People are at different stages. We have to teach our children that we believe in God based on his promises to us. Not on presumption based on what? On keeping up with the Joneses. Amen? Let's pray.